Uh, let's just give a little more love to Southern Wesleyan, allowing their students to come and do that for us. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I uh, also want to welcome those who are worshiping online. We consider you to be part of our family as well, and uh, glad you're doing that. Uh, we're going to all start with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for these beautiful folks and the high honor we have of being able to be in church today. And Lord, we're just throwing our voices in with so many voices around the planet uh, with one cry. Uh, we want to be more like you. We want to be more like Jesus in how we live, how we love, how we handle our resources, how we do relationships, how we think of ourselves. We want to be more like Jesus. And so um, I know, Father, we all know you are going to be working on hearts in different places with that agenda all around the world today. And I want you to feel free to move in our place as well. Work on our whatever area that we bring as individuals and whatever area we bring as a community and have your way uh, so we'd be more like you. So because of that, Lord, we're, we're seeking you, and I need, to, need you to hide me deep in your cross in order that we could hear first from you today in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, as you can tell, uh, a lot of neat things happening in the body. Um, one of the things I want to tell you about just kind of family business is small groups are signing up right now. So if you're having a difficult time or not able to get connected, and this is a good semester for you to do that, um, you can go to livewesting.info, and that's the place to sign up. Also, if you're interested in doing one of those cross-cultural experiences, those mission trips, uh, we mentioned that as part of the Fresh Vision in our church. We are actually helping put our people on mission fields. And if you're interested in that, there's a table in the lobby. You can sign up for that as well. Hey, uh, so <clears throat> I kind of got some pushback, and we ended in the naming of this series with some fear and trepidation. And um, because, you know, we're... We're calling it War Effort. And so they even, they even said, hey, Tom, do you think maybe we should change the title? And, and I'm the one that said, no, let's call it War Effort because any organization that's about promoting the love of Jesus needs to do a series on war. This is going to be awesome, you know. And so if you don't like that, uh, send me an email at phaycock, uh, com. <clears throat> And I'll get right back to you. Um, but I hope you'll give me a little bit of grace as we kind of head into this. And hopefully by the end of the morning, you'll understand why we wanted to call it this particular title. Um, and, and we're not trying to promote war and not trying to get political and any of that kind of thing. So just give some grace and let's see if, if we're on the same page. Uh, I want to start by just providing some definitions uh, for you. And the first definition is I, I want to give you is, is what the definition of war is. Uh, this is official. I looked it up. It's on Google. And, um, and here's basically the definition of war. War is a struggle to achieve a goal. So when you say it like that, you're like, wow, so we're not talking about like bombing each other and all that kind of stuff. Not really. War is just a struggle to achieve a specific goal. And so immediately our pre- preconceived notions of war are challenged by this definition, are they not? Because what we often do is we often associate our understanding of war to an event or a conflict or something on the international front. Um, however, we can war against something, and we can also war for something if this is the definition. I'll give you an example. We can, we can war against cancer, but war for kids that have cancer. Are you tracking what I'm saying? If this is the definition. We can war against poverty, and yet we can also war for those people who are trapped in poverty. We can war against drugs, but we can war for the, the addict who's trying to quit We can war against families falling apart, and then we can war for our kids or for our marriage. War is a struggle simply to achieve a goal. And the value of any war, be it personal, be it family, be it in a community, be it in a a, a country, the value of any war 
is always based on this. Whether or not the issue we are addressing is worth fighting for. Any war, whether or not the issue we're addressing is actually worth fighting for. In the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln actually quoted Jesus. Sometimes he gets attributed with this quote. It's not his. He stole it from Jesus. And he quotes Jesus, and this is what, this is what he said. He said, a house divided against itself cannot, what's the word? Stand. That's right, cannot stand. And so for the unity of our country and to fight against slavery, this battle was waged, this horrible, horrific battle, but apparently we all felt the issue was worth fighting for, and we entered into this struggle to achieve the goal of unity and freedom for our nation. In World War II, we actually united with our allies against fascism. We, we entered into this war after an attack on Pearl Harbor, and we fought against the advance of Adolf Hitler, who was exterminating people based on race and religion, and we entered a struggle to stop atrocities committed against the human race. War is a struggle to achieve a goal. Now, during these wars, during these wars in our country uh, especially, the organized war movement wasn't limited just to a battlefield, but there was actually an organized war movement that took place back home. During times of conflict in the U.S., families would sacrifice, and they worked to support at that time the men that we sent to the battlefield, and that whole experience was called the war effort. I've got a definition that I know you won't remember because I've wrote it, I've, I've said it 14 times, I still don't remember it. So here's a definition for war effort. It is a coordinated mobilization of a society's resources towards the support of a force seeking a goal and the good of its citizens. What became the war effort in the U.S. was a period of time of extraordinary heroism because when stakes are high, people do what they normally wouldn't do. Rosie the Riveter became popular during this time because she became a symbol of the war effort. During the war years, the decrease in the availability of men to go into the workforce led to this upsurge in the number of women who were willing to leave their homes, which was unheard of at that time, and begin holding factory jobs. Women would leave their homes and join the workforce, not for finances necessarily, but more to keep the ball rolling for whatever support had to happen, whether it's in factories or airplane manufacturing or whether it was in hospitals or schools, wherever they were needed. And by the mid-1940s, because of the war effort, the percentage in the American workforce had expanded from 25 to actually 36%. During World War II, as an alternative to rationing, Americans planned, are you ready? We planted victory gardens, we called them. All across our nation, victory gardens were planted. And in those gardens, we grew our own food. And by 1945, some 20 million victory gardens were running across the U.S. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what it meant. In the U.S., the vegetables we consumed, about 40% of those vegetables came, you ready? from those victory gardens because we had found something worth fighting for and it was worth doing what we don't normally do when the war's ever-increasing need for able-bodied men uh, in america uh, what happened when the, all the men left we turned to our teenagers boys and girls to to replace what was happening in our factories and our hospitals and those kinds of places 
Many states at that time actually had to change their child labor laws to allow the teenagers who stepped up to fill in. The number of teenagers workers increased to 1.9 million in 1940 to 1944 because people stepped up and did what they normally wouldn't do. June 15th through June 30th of 1942, 15 days, our troops were running low on rubber needs in the, in, the, in the fields and things that we needed to manufacture, so we needed rubber. So we did this 15-day drive, if you will, nationwide. And people were encouraged to donate used or surplus rubber items, and they brought old tires and raincoats and hot water bottles and boots and floor mats. And in exchange, they received a penny a pound. Get this, in those 15 days, we collected 450,000 tons of scrap rubber. When stakes are high, people do what they normally wouldn't do. Allow me to offer you another definition, if you will, of war effort and see if we can apply it today. War effort is simply a group of people who are willing to change and do whatever needs to be done in order to achieve a common goal. War effort is simply a group of people, say like a church, willing to change and do whatever needs to be done in order to achieve a common goal. So let's pause here long enough for me to engage with you and ask you this question. What in your life currently is worth changing, is worth doing whatever needs to be done in order to accomplish it? What in your life are you willing to change in order to accomplish I think that probably your mind might have went where mine, mine, I don't know, but a lot of us probably went to things we love. Well, whatever I got to do to protect her or protect those kids or whatever. So I, I think like things like family and faith, freedom, those would be all things that maybe we would all kind of agree at some level would be worth us having a discussion or at least I'd be willing to change to protect. And, and I would agree with you. Those are things worth preserving. So, so let's press down a little bit further. And let me ask you this question more pointedly. Is the cause of Jesus Christ worth me changing in order that his will be accomplished in our world? Don't blow me off. This is church. You expected this to come. Is, Is the cause of Jesus Christ worth me changing in order that his will would be accomplished in our world? Now, I'm getting ready to share with you some very offensive and controversial thoughts. They, it used to be they were not. It used to be they were places of security and comfort. Today, they're going to be offensive. In fact, they're so offensive, I have no doubt that some of you will choose not to come back. And, and that, that makes me a little nervous. But I feel like in order to actually get beyond cotton candy faith and into some reality business, we have to be willing to go to this controversial place and potentially offensive idea for some of you. Because the idea that I'm getting ready to share with you is not on the outskirts of Christianity. It's actually foundational to Christianity as a belief system. And it's firmly rooted throughout the pages of Scripture. Here's the first controversial idea. There is a heaven... And there's a hell. And every person in history will spend eternity in one or the other, 
based on what they do with Jesus Christ. So what I have just done is I've sort of polarized those listening to my voice because there are now two groups of people. The first group says, I don't believe that's true. But you, and you haven't believed that to be true, but you keep coming to church. And the reason you keep coming to church is because you feel better about being in church. It's good for the kids. It's good for your marriage. It's often good things are said. And it's just an encouraging place to come. And, and I hope you'll continue to come. And that's a good reason. But the second group says that that statement is true. And they will actually go further and they will tell you of a time when that statement became true for them. When God came looking for them, he took their sin away, and now grace abounds in their life, and the kingdom of heaven is their present and their future. They went to an altar, or they went to a Sunday school, or they knelt down with grandma, or they were in a truck driving by themselves, and they moved, they changed categories of some sort, and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So let me ask you the all-important question personally. Do you believe that statement to be true? Yes or no? There's no in-betweenies here. You know, you can't say, I'm kind of in-betweeny, whatever that is. You should never say that. But it's either yes or it's no. That's kind of the deal. And the conviction that has been part of my life since we brainstormed this series several months ago is if I truly gut level believe this to be true, am I willing to live my life differently? Is it worthy of a war effort on my part? Where I am now willing to change and do whatever is necessary for this hope to get out to others. If I say this statement is truth, then it can't just be truth for me. This is one of the greatest deceptions that's part of our culture. Friends, truth is truth regardless of its acceptance or adoption. It's just true. If it's really true, it's true for everybody, not just true for some of us. I have a friend on staff, one of his favorite sayings that he taught me, and I just love it. He says, you do you and I do me. And I love that idea when it comes to identity and who we are. It's like, you do you, I'll do me. That's a great statement for identity. It's a lousy statement for theology. Because there is no your truth and my truth when it comes to theology. There is just truth. There's no I own this part, you own that part, and you just believe what you want, we're all going to end up at the same place. That's not true according to any world religion. Now, an easier illustration of this, if we take it outside of the gospel, and let's go to something like gravity. So, do you believe gravity to be true? Some would say yes, and some would form a Facebook group that says, I don't think gravity is real. It's at all. It's a lie by the government. The Democrats, Republicans, they're all responsible for the fact that gravity, and it's not even real, you know, that, that kind of thing. So here's what I would suggest you do. Go home and jump off a table. I mean, I'm talking really jump. I mean, do like a, do you remember Jimmy Snooker, Superfly Snooker? But anyway, I know you don't. But anyway, you just kind of just like let it go. Do the ST plunge and just jump. And here's what's going to happen. Really, I'm going to bust, bust your bubble here. They shoot down Sunday afternoon's entertainment. You're going to fall, and you're going to bust it. You're going to bust something. That's what's going to happen when you jump off the table. That's what's going to happen. You see, gravity being true is not dependent on whether or not we believe it. It's true. And if it's true, it's going to be true for everybody, even those of us who don't believe in gravity. Because truth always leads to reality. 
So if this foundational statement is true, like gravity, it has to be true for everybody. Or not. There can't be, that's my truth, it's not my truth. It's just true. So let's define some of these terms, because we all have mixed ideas on the idea of this. So let me just tell you where I'm thinking. There is a heaven. Let's tell you what heaven is. So I used to think heaven looked like Disney World's palace. That's kind of what I read in the scripture. I thought, well, that must be what it is. And so and then I went to Disney, and if that's heaven, I don't want to go there. <laughs> you know, that's not, it's very expensive. But anyway, um, so heaven, as described in the book of Revelation, and I mean, it involves like these gates, or these huge pearls, and there's gems on the walls, and streets of gold, and all that kind of stuff. And I know we don't say that you ride around a cloud and play at a harp, but I used to watch Bugs Bunny, and that's what happened in those. So I think that's partly true as well. And plus, it'd be cool to ride a cloud and be able to play a harp. But anyway, uh, Heaven is this place that we all sort of think about, but heaven is actually more than a location. I believe that heaven is a location, but the truth of heaven is actually this. Heaven is living eternally in the unlimited presence, power, and grace of God. That's the chewy chocolate center, the excitement point of heaven for me. If there's a great cloud and there's a palace and gates of pearl, whatever, that's fantastic. I look forward to that, but man... Being in the unlimited presence of the grace of God, that is heaven for me. That's heaven. And so we could have a similar idea when it comes to hell. So again, I grew up, and um, basically hell was a place I was scared of, and I did not want to go, because it's a lake of fire, and I, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, which just sounds nasty. And so you don't want to go there, people in pain and all that kind of stuff. Now, I believe there's actually a location of hell. I believe that. But the chewy chocolate center of hell is actually this. Hell is living eternally under condemnation and separation from God. That's hell. That's hell. And here's the other thing. We have never experienced this yet, even if you don't believe. Because God is still a part of your life. You're in a community right now. You're surrounded by God followers. So God's still part. But hell is a place where God is no longer part now, Christians believe these things to be true. We would say this is reality like gravity. Everybody starts out in this condemnation category. Even if you don't believe in God, you understand the condemnation category because we do it to ourselves. We disappoint ourselves. We cause hurt. We cause pain, shame, guilt, all that sort of happens. And the only way we move out of this condemnation category is through Jesus. So we all start in this condemnation category, and that's where some of us are. And then we become aware that we're in this condemnation category and that there's a possibility we could actually connect to God and get out of that category. Paul says it better in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, listen to this. For by grace, pause, you didn't do it to yourself. It's not because you put a fish on your car. For by grace unmerited. We didn't earn it. This was a gift. You didn't move yourself from condemnation to freedom because you can't do it because if you could, you would have already done it. So by grace, you have been saved from what? The condemnation category. The category we were born into. Through faith. I'm so glad that word is in there. In fact, I'm going to tell God, good job writing that one because I don't have all the answers here. I don't have all the answers to everything. There are still things I take by faith and still things I'm growing into. 
through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. In other words, nobody gets to heaven and says, you're darn right I'm here. I've been, I deserve this. Oh. It's all God's gift to you. It's not the result of you being able to do your good works so that no one can boast. This is a pure gift. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and every person in history will spend eternity in one or the other based on what they did with Jesus Christ. That's the first controversial statement. Now I'm getting ready to give you the second one. The good news is, if you don't like this one, you can email Jesus. Because I didn't, I didn't write this one. This, con- this statement, it's still controversial to me. In fact, it's so controversial, I'm kind of a nervous sharing it with you. And, and, and I would say it's this statement that actually got Jesus killed. And in our culture, this statement's very offensive. And you're not going to like what Jesus said. One day, Jesus is teaching about his heavenly father. And he's, cra- he's painting such a picture that was so valuable and so intriguing that someone in the crowd piped up and says, how do you get to him? How can I be with the heavenly father? And Jesus said these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now let me just tell you very honestly, that is either the most arrogant statement ever uttered by any person on the planet or it's true. There's no in-betweenies. Now listen, before you go all Christian on me, start nodding and saying amen, preach the word, brother, let's take another offering, (laughs) said no one ever. But before you do that, (laughs) let's pause. Let's pause and think about it. And if you are here investigating faith, let me tell you why I think you should be cautious before you embrace this idea. See, if you agree with this statement that Jesus said, then you're also agreeing with another statement that I think I need to call your attention to. Because if this statement is true, then all other statements about faith and God are not true. So if you do believe this, then it kind of starts this domino effect in one's life. And so before you say you believe it, and before you embrace this idea, you should think about the domino effect. Because if you buy this, then you are going to have to confront some very difficult ideas because you buy this. So once again, I have two groups of people in the room. The first group of people would say, I'm not sure I believe that statement. And that's fine. You're not alone if that's kind of your reaction. You either don't believe Jesus said that statement... Or you don't believe Jesus. One of those things, you have to settle that for yourself. And if that's you, I want you to hear something that you may not hear in church very often. Um, Even Jesus said that some of his teachings would be difficult to understand. Even Jesus said there are some things that he teaches that the Father is actually going to have to reveal to us and bring us into light. And so if you're saying, Tom, I don't know if I buy that then I want to encourage you to keep coming. 
keep showing up. If you enjoy hearing the coffee and the music and boogie woogie boogie, if you enjoy all that stuff, everybody online is saying, what just happened? You know, that's okay. If you enjoy all that stuff, um, keep coming, and I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep sharing the truth as I see it and understand it. We'll keep teaching it in children and youth. And let's see what the Father teaches us over time. Group two is this in the room. I believe that statement to be absolutely true. And if that's you, you're the ones I'm most concerned about in this series. So let me ask you, if you find yourself in group two, Is it worth it? There is a heaven. There is a hell. And every person in history will spend eternity in one or the other based on what they did with Jesus Christ. Is that truth worth changing everything? Jesus was asked a similar question one time he was asked by a man named Nicodemus he was like a professional Jewish guy expert in the law big deal in Jewish religion and he came to Jesus and I loved it I love the way he came to Jesus and you can read about in the gospel of John if you want to check it out but I love the way he came because it was so honest not fluffy not plastic, not what everybody's supposed to do. It was, just, it was just honest. And basically, he came to Jesus and he said this, you are a weird dude. And it was valid, right? He said, I've seen you heal people. That's not normal. You know, I've seen you, heard your teaching. You know, you make lepers not have leprosy. I've seen you're, you're a freak of nature, Jesus. That's kind of what you are. And Jesus said, true that. Roofly, you know, kind of loosely paraphrased. And you know what? That's where some of us are in this room today. We're engaged by Jesus. We're just not sure we buy everything. We're intrigued by him. We know there's something surrounding this person of Jesus or maybe the teachings of this man, Jesus. Otherwise, two billion people on the planet wouldn't be following him. But we still have some questions. So here we are, a little bit like Nicodemus. We come seeking, and Nicodemus wants to know. He says to the weird dude, Something is in your life that's not in my life. Something is missing. There is something unique about you, Jesus. Tell me what's missing. And this is where Jesus said, I think it's probably the most popular verse in Scripture. He said, I'll tell you what's missing for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What was the motivation? Come on. So that everyone man, woman, and child, who believes, that's faith, in him, Jesus, will not perish, condemnation, but will have freedom and forgiveness. And that's normally where we stop, but we shouldn't stop there. If we're, making, if, we're making, if we're kind of seeking truth on this issue, let's make sure we catch the next thing Jesus said, because it's so important. And this may be why some of you in here are here. Jesus said this, indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some of you got some bad Jesus along the way, and you think God hates you. 
you think the reason Jesus came was to damn your soul to hell? Let me tell you something. If that was God's agenda, he wouldn't have had to come. That was already done. We were all in the condemnation category. He could have stayed home and watched the games. He wouldn't have had to come. If that was his agenda. So God, Jesus is saying, didn't send his son in the world to condemn it. He came in the whole of the world and might be saved through him. No condemnation. Freedom through forgiveness. So in other words, God looks down the planet and the whole planet is on a train headed for condemnation. That's where all of us are going. It's all of our truth. Nobody can say anything different. That's what's happening. And God looks down and his heart breaks and his mighty plan of redemption that was set in place in the Garden of Eden is put into motion and Jesus comes to the planet and all of a sudden you and I have an option of freedom from condemnation and freedom into forgiveness because of God's grace. That's what these verses mean. He didn't come to push people to hell. He came to provide this trajectory, altering altering path away from condemnation that is available to each and every one of us. So this becomes the war effort of our church. You ready? Our combined war effort would be for anyone at any time to have a chance to decide for Jesus. That's it. Not just like on professional Sundays. Anytime. And let me tell you something. If the church universal, Catholic church is called, all together, would unite on anything, it would change the world. And if we would unite on this truth, we doggy, it would change the world. So as a church, at least this part of the bride that I'm a part of, I need you to know this is our clearest goal. And I don't think we're heading out of the park. I think we need to grow. And so you now have to decide at a very personal and deep level if that is a cause you're not only willing to fight for, but you're actually willing to change for. You have to decide if this is worth giving your life to. My concern in church world is that we are becoming way too comfortable with the show and losing the mission behind it all. My concern is we're enjoying coming and drinking the coffee and seeing the lights and hearing the music and hopefully the personality on the, on the stage keeps you engaged. But my concern is we're losing the mission behind all of that. And the mission behind it has always been for anyone at any time to have a chance to decide for Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever served in military or not. Um, but if you have, you, you might have heard the term commander's intent. The commander's intent, uh, and it, it, it describes the success for the operation. It's gospel on the field. 
So the battle is this, and the commander says, here's what I intend for this battle to take place, and then the people go out and get that accomplished. It's how the winds define. And so as a Christian, I wonder what our commander's intent would be. And so kind of track this, I, I went to a, the last speech Jesus gave while he was on the planet before he goes to be with, with the Father. And some of the last words Jesus ever gave on this side is found in the last chapter of the book of Matthew. And Jesus said to us, people just like us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So because of that, here's the effect. Go. You go. Not go to a church that goes. You go and make disciples of all nations, not just your own little corner, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And remember, this is another, it's actually, sometimes it says behold, but actually the word is promise. And I promise, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The commander's intent for the believer is we would actually share the message of Jesus Christ. You're not in charge of the results. Our charge, the commander's intent, is to share that as creatively and as excited and as wonderful as you possibly can come up with in hopes that people far from God would come near to him and receive him as Savior and Lord. So this is our war effort, people. For anyone at any time to have a chance to decide for Jesus. Who comes to your mind? Who do you think about when they say, man, if that dude had some Jesus, his life would be so different. If that marriage had some Jesus, they might make it. If that girl had some Jesus, her trajectory would totally change. Who comes to your mind? Put a name on it. Who comes to your mind? Hey, did y'all notice these when you came in? And you may be sitting on it if you didn't notice it. May have to reach back there and do some exploring, kind of find it. This is like the most creative thing ever on the planet, right here. And um, they're purposefully designed like this. I'm hoping that maybe 10 of you or 20 or several hundred would feel the passion that I'm feeling over this issue. And you would be willing to get uncomfortable and give this to someone you love or someone you don't love, someone you don't know. Hey, uh, Tom, that could be offensive. Well, duh. It could be. It could be offensive. But if our war effort is for anyone at any time to have a chance to decide for Jesus, then maybe we ought to start putting Jesus in front of people. And so all I'm asking you is to consider giving this to someone you love. Hey, um, our church is doing this. 
love for you to come. Or are you a Jesus freak? Are you one of those Jesus nuts? Uh, maybe. But all I want to do is if you want to come, come. I'd love for you to show up. Maybe like Nicodemus, Jesus, there's something weird about you. I know some of y'all. That's what some people are saying about you. Whatever's weird about you, I want that in my life. Maybe the person came to your mind. This would come. Give this, yes, give this. Tom, they might think, get offended. Well, maybe it's time we got a little more offensive. For the right reasons. Not for beating someone over the head with a Bible. Not for judging someone. Not that. Our church is doing this thing on war effort, and I'd love for you to join me if you want to come. Y'all, uh, y'all ever heard of uh, Penn and Teller, the magic people? You know? um, I don't know if you've ever seen this video. If you go on YouTube, you should check it out. Uh, Penn Jillette, uh, he's the big hairy guy, um, which I hope I never get to a point where that's how I'm identified. But anyway, there's the big hairy guy, and um, he, he has this YouTube video, and, and he's an atheist as near as I can tell. I don't know if he still is, but he was during this time. And after one of his shows... Somebody comes up and says, hey, God put on my heart to give you this New Testament. And so the dude did. He, he gave him a New Testament, and inside he put his number. He said, if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about it. Now, again, Penn's an atheist. And if you know Penn Jillette, he's an offensive guy anyway. And so I thought, well, what do you do, like turn him into a lizard or something? Wham, you know, <laughs> kind of what happened, <laughs> which would be a great story. But that's not what happened. He goes back and he makes his video, and I actually have some of it. You can watch for yourself, but this is some of the dialogue. Penn says, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. And that's a big fancy word for don't tell people about the good things in their lives or good things they found. Does that make sense? I don't respect that at all, he says. Atheist. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, listen to this. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This whole series is about what you believe what you believe is true and then it's a call for us to act on what we believe is true Lord thank you for these good folks thank you for the high honor of sharing with them Lord I know every time I take a Sunday off here I get fired up and I come back and these poor folks some of them look like they got deer in the headlights going on <laughs> oh gosh Lord um would you allow us to keep what we need to keep and let go what we need to let go of? Lord, my prayer has been the same uh, since this series got on the record. My prayer is you change our church and you'd start by changing this pastor. My prayer is that we wouldn't just give lip service to the reality that there are people that we do life with that do not know Jesus. We would actually be willing to initiate the conversation, be willing to cover it in prayer, not to be weird, not to be offensive, but just be loving. For some of us, it'd take a tremendous amount of courage just to say, hey, 
won't you come to church? Because, Lord, when they say that, they say, oh, you're a hypocrite because I know how you live. And, Lord, maybe there's freedom in embracing that identity. Yeah, you're right. I don't have it all together. But there's something here that's providing a foundation. There's something here that's providing me with truth. And I'd love for you to kind of go on the journey with me. Lord, I pray for my friends in the room who maybe um, somehow, as they heard these truths, they realized it's not their truth. And maybe today, you're calling them to embrace it as their truth. It's just truth. And they want to move from the category of condemnation to the category of freedom and forgiveness through you, through faith in you. And I pray that you would hear their prayers right now. If that's you, just pray. Ask God for that. Just ask God, just like you would talk to me. God, I want to move from this condemnation category and into that freedom and forgiveness thing. And God will teach you. This church will help teach you. Small groups, and teachings. And you can do that. Thank you, Father, for giving us a reason to gather, gather together. It's in your name we pray. Amen.